0: Christ is risen we have hope because Christ is risen let's give the Lord a hand of praise he's worthy amen so worthy so worthy so worthy hallelujah hallelujah thank you worship team What a beautiful time of worship. We are so blessed. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Today is part 3 in our series, What is the Gospel? I shared in part 1 that the gospel is called Good News because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. And that problem is simply this. God is holy and just, and I'm not. And at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God, and I'll be judged. And I'll be judged either either on the basis of my own righteousness And if that's the case, I'm in terrible trouble. We all are. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteousness are like filthy rags. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, and he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I shared that the gospel is the heart of the Bible. Everything in Scripture is either preparation for the gospel. You can write this on your outline. Preparation for the gospel the Old Testament, presentation of the gospel, the New Testament, or participation in the gospel, the church, the New Testament church, you and me. To fully grasp both the depth yet simplicity of the gospel, it's important to understand that the great message of the gospel begins with God and not us. This was our focus in part one. I encourage you to go online to to listen to the message if you weren't here. The focus was on the glory of God in the gospel. Throughout the scriptures, the glory of God speaks of God's perfection, God's holiness, his beauty and greatness and power and perfect light. In every case, the glory of God acknowledges the Lord's preeminence and our need to both acknowledge him and serve him, that he is Lord over all. And God's ultimate purpose in creation was to display his glory. In church, when we truly begin to grasp the gospel, loving, trusting, thanking, and obeying God is a real delight and not a duty. Loving, loving, trusting, thanking, and obeying God is at the heart of glorifying God. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Are you most satisfied in Him? God gets the glory when we are. We get the joy. That is the way it was supposed to be. That's how it all started in the garden. Adam and Eve glorified God. God received the glory and they lived in perpetual joy. How many here would just love perpetual joy? That's the way it was supposed to be. That's the way it was before the fall. In part two, Pastor Bob focused on the sinfulness of man and how we have all fallen short of the glory of God and how the gospel is the only hope we have day in and day out, 24-7. I encourage you, if you weren't here, please go online and listen to last week's message. This truth is vitally important. It makes the gospel understandable. All of us have failed to glorify God as we should. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And today I want to still focus our attention on man. And we'll transition our focus off of man onto Jesus Christ, our Savior. Gracious Father, we love you. We thank you for your beautiful presence. Wow, we're so privileged to be in your presence. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his blood that washes away our sin. We're so grateful for his righteousness. Because of his righteousness, we can come before you. We can stand before you. We can offer our lives as a living sacrifice. We can offer our song, our praise, our adoration. Father, we thank you for our helper, the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. And we pray here today through the power of your spirit, you would speak, God, to every one of us here today. God, that we would hear, oh, that we would hear what you say. God, we would have the the humility not only to hear, but to respond in, in, in humble obedience. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church, we are worshiping people. We are. We are worshiping people. Worship is an innate desire. An instinct, and impulse wide into us by God himself. This is a gift from God. Worship is a gift from God. We were made to worship. And we have this innate, deep desire to worship. But what happens when instead of using that gift of worship from God, for God, we focus our worship on the stuff God made? What happens when we attempt to hijack God's story about himself and rewrite it with ourselves at the center of his story? Jeremiah chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 says, as a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit, be astonished, O heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid. Be very desolate says the Lord. The Lord has a charge for those who claim to be... His people in today's main text here in Jeremiah chapter 2. The prophet Jeremiah, God is speaking through the power of his spirit, through his prophet, to his people. And he says, has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory. Speaking of himself, for what does not profit. Speaking of almighty God, for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, can you believe? Heavens at this and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate says the Lord. God says to look at the pagan world and consider who has ever left its gods, and the answer is none. The peoples of the world do not change gods. The pagans do not swap gods. These are worthless gods, in fact. They are not gods at all, the Lord says through his prophet. Yet the people show loyalty to To these worthless, false gods, says the Lord. What an indictment. God is asking, where is their loyalty? God is the true and living God. He is not worthless. The things they seek after are worthless. They have no value. Yet, they show no loyalty to the real God, the creator of heaven and earth. God asks, Who does this? Who does this? Who changes gods? Worse, who changes from the true God to false gods that cannot do anything for you? Who does this? God knows that two great evils have occurred. Look at verse 13. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. First they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And this is an outrage to our Lord. God pictures himself here as a mountain spring of clean, pure, life-giving water. Remember when I shared that the gospel is the heart of the Bible. Everything in scripture is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, and participation in the gospel. Here in Jeremiah chapter 2, we have preparation for the gospel. This fountain of living water points to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John 4, 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give, of him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life think about how great a flowing fountain would be in ancient times it is the equivalent of having the running water that we enjoy and take for granted today if you've been in other parts of the world where there's no clean water, you really begin to appreciate what we have available to us. The ability to go to a fountain that has clean, cool water, and you never have to worry about the water running dry. No one goes to the sink today, we don't at our home, and, and, and wonder if, if there's not going to be any water coming out of the faucets. None of us worry that we will not have water to drink. We have a plentiful supply of water to drink, the water will be there. This is the pleasure and benefit of the Fountain of Living Water Church. The way to glorify the fountain is to enjoy the water and keep coming back for more water. We appreciate the fountain by going back to the fountain, drinking the water, being grateful for the fountain, and coming back to the fountain again and again, knowing that it satisfies our deepest thirst. This is how we glorify God, the fountain of living water. Is this what the people did here in Jeremiah? The answer is no. God says, they have forsaken me. They had forsaken the fountain of living water. This is an insult to the beauty and worth of God's holy character. God's perfect character. The Lord spoke to the prophet Isaiah saying something similar in Isaiah 55 verses 2 and 3. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Here's the personal application for us today. When we look for other things to satisfy us other than the Lord, we are declaring that the Lord has nothing for me. He provides no value to my life. I have no passion for him. I do not desire him. I do not thirst for him. Wow. That's the indictment placed upon God's people there in Jeremiah. Not only did they reject the fountain of living water, they preferred to carve cisterns for themselves. A cistern was a large hole that was dug into a rock about 20 feet deep to capture rainwater. The people gave their energies. Think about this. The people gave their energies um, to looking for a different water supply. God had given them all that they would need. But the people spent their energies looking for a different water supply. You know what that cistern water turns into? It becomes filled with Algae and is no longer suitable for drinking. It gets contaminated. On top of it, we, we read in our text that these cisterns are broken and they leak. And so they are trading in clean, think about this, they're trading in clean, pure, cool, easy flowing water for, for digging a hole in a rock that captures rainwater that leaks and will turn to algae and become contaminated and, and no use for drinking. Now, how foolish is that? Well, that's exactly how foolish sin is. Sin makes us dumb. Well, it makes me dumb. I'll just indict myself. Well, God's word indicts me. I don't need to indict myself. Do we see why God is insulted? Do we see why God is saying in verse 12, be astonished, O heavens, be appalled. Be shocked. You know, that's a real problem today. We are just not appalled. We're not shocked by our rebellion, by our sin, by our self-glory. And that's a real concern today. Church, to prefer anything above Christ is the very essence of sin. To esteem God as lesser than anything else in this world is deeply offensive to God And is a picture of redirected worship away from God to self-centered worship. We were made to worship. It's innate. God put it in us. It's a gift from God reserved for him alone. When we do this, when we redirect our worship away from God to self-centered worship, we sin and fall short of the glory of God. I want to ask you, a couple questions here today. What cracked cistern are you trying to use to quench your thirst? To satisfy you? What broken dry cistern are you using to try to fill the void in your life? Would you turn over to Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3. We have a dual text here today. I like to look at verses 17 through 19. You know, the world was made for God's glory. Throughout this series, you're going to hear this repeated over and over and over again. The world was made for God's glory, but his glory in creation was made manifest in man and woman. Bearers of his image, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They were created to take dominion Over creation, to be the crown jewel of the material world. When sin entered the first man and woman, it entered the entire world. All that God created was contaminated, affected by original sin. Original sin has effects beyond humanity, beyond you and me, it affects the whole world, the universe, the earth. The whole creation has been groaning according to Romans chapter 8, verse 22. This is not just to remind us of the seriousness of rebellion against God, but to indicate that human rebellion against God disrupts the natural order of everything. A natural order designed by a master creator, almighty God. This is why a whole gospel must be about the restoration of God's image bearers, you and me, and also about the restoration of the entire theater of God's glory, the entire world and universe. The Bible talks of a new heaven and a new earth. We see this important connection between Adam's disobedience and the fall of the very earth itself in Genesis chapter 3 as God pronounces the curse. Look at verses 17 through 19. And then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. The harmony that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God's creation, the peaceful dominion they were given over it, is now broken because of their sin. Because they redirected their worship away from God to self-worship. Cursed is the ground because of you, God says. The, the fracture between Adam and, and creation reflects the, the fraction between God and Adam. Where Adam's work was toilless, it is now toilsome. We're no stranger. While the earth was once wonderfully subdued, it, is now, it now yields its fruit grudgingly where it was once only fruitful and abundant, it now offers the the challenge of thorns and and thistles. And and we're no strangers to thorns and thistles. And while Adam was clothed in, in perishable flesh, his sin limits the lifespan of his physical body. The devastating effects of sin. Having rejected God's blessings, he has chosen to place his hope in the dust from which he was fashioned. You see, Adam and Eve were were placed as the crown of God's good creation. But as the crown goes, so does um, the creation go. Their sin brings the curse to all of us. To all of us. What Adam and Eve enjoyed before the fall is often referred to by the Hebrew word shalom, a very familiar word to us here at Greece Assembly. Write that word somewhere on your outline, shalom. We call it peace. But it means far more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing. Write that on your outline, flourishing. It means universal flourishing. Number two, wholeness. And number three, delight. Universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom is the way things ought to be. That's how God made things to be. Shalom is the word for when the state of all things are in harmony with God's holiness. When there was shalom, Adam and Eve stewarded the creation God had given them in a way that accurately reflected God's glory. They reflected his glory perfectly. And the way they cultivated the garden and harvested the fruit, the whole place ran like a machine, well-oiled with the joy of the Lord. They always had a song, a song of joy in their hearts. 24-7, perpetual joy joy That's hard for us to even fathom in grass. Their sin, however, threw a wrench into the gears. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden in a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Man was now unholy and separated from God who is holy. That's our greatest need. God is holy and just and we're not. That's our greatest need. The way back is blocked. The way back to God is blocked. Shalom has been shattered. Church, when I look at everything that's happening in our world today we have lost God's shalom. Physically, we've lost his shalom. Spiritually, we've lost his shalom. Socially, we have lost his shalom. Psychologically, we've lost his shalom. And culturally, we've lost his shalom. Things now fall apart. That was not God's plan. We have a shalom-shaped hole in our hearts. No matter how much we throw in there, in this hole, and no matter how long we try filling it, nothing will satisfy but shalom itself. I, just, I read recently, sin is building, a, building your self-worth on anything other than God. Let me say that again. Sin is building your self-worth on anything other than God. Please don't miss this point. The shalom-shaped hole in our hearts cannot be filled with anything but God's shalom. It's that God-ordained harmony with all things that we want to experience, and it's called shalom. Universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. Personal flourishing, wholeness in the night. Not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. We have this innate desire to worship, to glorify God. He put it there. It's a gift and it's reserved only for Him. And so, this, this flourishing and this wholeness and this delight is for the glory of God, for us to sing the glory of His name. And we get the joy. Joy unspeakable, the Bible says, and full of glory. Whose glory? My glory? No, his glory. That's why it's joy unspeakable, full of glory. Everybody knows something's broken in the world. But illogically and foolishly, we are looking for fixes from broken people with broken ideas in broken places broken politics. Impossible. Impossible. And yet we let those things divide us. Oh, there's so much idolatry in our lives and we don't even know it. In the Hebrew way of thinking, shalom is the joining together of opposites the holy and the unholy. About 700 years before Christ's birth, it was prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Prince of Shalom of the increase of his government and his peace, shalom, there will be no end. Here, once again, we have preparation of the gospel. Isaiah 9, 6 points prophetically to Jesus, the prince of shalom, the prince of peace. He is our shalom. He is the world's shalom. Ephesians two fourteen says, for he himself is our peace, our shalom, who has made both One, the unholy and the holy, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2 say, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, shalom with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. First Thessalonians 5 verses 23 and 24 say, Now may the God of peace, Shalom himself, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now may the God of peace, Shalom himself, sanctify you completely, make you whole. And may your whole spirit, your whole soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Church, remember, shalom is the word for when the state of all things are in harmony with God's holiness. Shalom is the word when our spirit is in harmony with God's holiness. Shalom is the word when our hearts are in harmony with God's holiness. Shalom is the word when our minds are in harmony with God's holiness. Shalom is is the word when our desires are in harmony with God's holiness. Shalom is the word when our relationships are in harmony with God's holiness. It's only in shalom that all of these and so much more are made whole. Are flourishing. Shalom is the word when our attitudes are in harmony with God's holiness. Shalom is the word when our morals are in harmony with God's holiness. Shalom is the way things ought to be, flourishing, whole, and delightful. Can I hear a big amen? Shalom. 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 John 16, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, shalom. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We've been singing about his victory this morning. Tribulation, church, trouble is reality of living in a fallen world, a world that does not glorify God. A world that doesn't glorify God equals trouble. A life that doesn't glorify God equals trouble. A marriage that doesn't glorify God equals trouble for that marriage. Parents that don't glorify God equals trouble in the home. Students, children that don't glorify God, there's gonna be trouble. Self-glory always brings trouble. It brought sin into the world. When God's creation does not glorify him, everything is out of alignment to the holiness of God. The divine order here, this church, the divine order of all things are out of order. Marriage is redefined. Human sexuality is confused and perverted. Weather patterns are severe. Governments are corrupt. The physical body decays. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But in Christ, there is shalom. There is universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. I read a couple of these verses earlier, but I want to read down to verse 18. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace, shalom. Jesus came and preached peace, shalom, to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Every person is searching for meaning. Every person is searching for significance. Every person is searching for happiness. Whatever label you put on it, however you identify it, we all are looking for fulfillment. Every single one of us. Personal happiness is the driving force behind everything the sin nature does. Everything. The problem is that God is left out of the account. Namely, the glory of God. The most important person is being ignored. Because of this reality, we always do what we want because we think it will ultimately be to our own personal happiness, even distasteful things. Think about this We, we settle for temporary, fleeting pleasures rather than for what is eternal and soul satisfying. And the truth is, this is madness. It's madness. It's all meaningless. Read the book of Ecclesiastes this week. In the end, there is nothing under the sun that brings lasting fulfillment. You have to look beyond the sun, S U N, to the sun, S O N, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel shows us that depravity is very personal, that it's here, that it's, it's, it's in here, in our hearts. Depravity is the moral corruption and sinfulness of man. And the gospel also shows us that depravity affects earth's very social fabric and systems. Everything is too broken. Everything is too broken to satisfy. It's too broken. No politician, no political party can fix it. But there is one who can, who came to fix it. And he is our peace. Amen. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Church, we are cursed. Creation is cursed. We are groaning. Creation is groaning. The ache is bigger than all of us. We need a redemption bigger than all of us. Bigger than all of us. And God's innate righteousness demands justice. He cannot let guilt go unpunished. He can't. The wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. A blood debt is owed. We have fallen short of the glory of God. To fall short of the glory of God means that we have not trusted God the way we should. I'm guilty. We have not obeyed him the way we should. I'm guilty. We have trusted ourselves. I'm guilty. We have turned from his commandments. I'm guilty. We thought we knew a better way. I'm guilty. In Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idols. Self-glory, self-worship. This is what it means to fall short of the glory of God. To exchange it for something else. To exchange his glory for something else. He offers himself as our infinite treasure and we trade him in on a second-hand pleasure. How offensive that is to a holy God. The Bible will always shoot straight with us, church. And that's why we need to be in it. We need to be in God's word because we need God. Amen. We need what he has to say. The Bible will always shoot straight with us. We can't be concerned about being... P.C., politically correct. God's word isn't. The bottom line is that to seek our glory is to seek our own damnation for the wages of sin is death. We have to feel the weight of God's wrath, church. Because without feeling the weight of his wrath, we won't know the weight of his kindness. Kindness. The place the gospel holds out for us is where God's kindness and and God's wrath meet. This place is called the cross. It's it's where grace and wrath intersect. What Christ did on the cross for us and his transforming love and power will not be grasped until we see that the cross also reveals the depth of the offense, the weight of the offense of sin, our sin. I like what Thomas Watson said. Said He puts it this way. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Because all have sin and all fall short of the glory of God. All are worthy of hell. I'm going to talk more about that next week. I hope you still come. Like I said, the Bible always shoots straight with us. If we don't understand the bad news... We will not grasp the good news of the gospel. Church, Christ died a brutal death on the cross. The gospel is bloody. The gospel is bloody. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. No one who's found guilty wants justice when they're found guilty. They want mercy. Justice and mercy met at the cross. Both met at the cross. I love Psalms 85, 10. It's on your outline. It says, I just sat in my office this morning meditating on this verse for 30 plus minutes. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Isn't that a beautiful verse? There is a beautiful glimpse here of the person and work of Jesus Christ. For only in him can God's truth, which hates sin, God's truth hates sin, be compatible with God's mercy, which forgives sin. And mercy and truth have met together at the cross. And righteousness and peace have kissed. Christ's death on my behalf On your behalf, fully satisfied God's divine justice, which allowed God to show his mercy to the guilty. Put your name there in place of the guilty. My name, surely is there. Justice punished sin and mercy rescued sinners. Put your name there. Church, righteousness and peace actually come together in a divine kiss at the cross. Amen? This divine meeting takes place at Calvary. Both his righteousness and his peace, shalom, have been made available to us. That's the power of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. I close with Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness in peace. And the word there is shalom, enjoy in the Holy Spirit, God's original purpose. Isn't that powerful, church? The gospel satisfies all that we long for. What is the gospel? It is shalom, it brings everything back into alignment with the holiness of God. Let's take a moment here this morning, the Sapphire this morning how many would be honest here today and say pastor i need shalom in my life i need shalom in my life my life is out of alignment it's not in alignment with the holiness of god and i need the shalom of god the peace of god he's provided his shalom and his son who is the prince of shalom He says, all you who are weary, heavy laden, who need rest, come to me, come to me, come to me. As Brother Joe leads us in this song, talk to God, talk to God, call on his name. You need the peace, you need the shalom of God. Something in your life is not in alignment with his holiness. The shalom of God is available to you today. Spiritually, you're separated from God. The shalom of God is available to you today to make you whole and to bring you into alignment with the holiness of God. What is the gospel? It is the shalom of God. The perfect peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. This message is so simple, but yet so complex. It surpasses all human intellect. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Joe, lead us in this song. If you want to come to the altar, feel free to do that. We'll pray with you you want to get in alignment with God's holiness right there in your pew, you call on the name of the Lord. He promises to save you. He'll make you whole.